just funny how that song kind of connects right now doesn't everyone just love michael buble i mean i know i do fantastic man <laughs> but it's actually amazing how pensive his songs make me feel sometimes especially with this uh topic at hand yeah because i know lately we've been taught like lately we've been discussing i don't know if you guys have been too you know what makes a home because right now we're considering like moving different areas moving out of the country moving you know from state to state and kind of one thing that's important at least to me is you know no matter where we move no matter what we do I mean what makes home a home what makes a house a home what makes a building a home you know can you sleep under the stars with your beloved and call it a home can you be partying with your friends called a home mm-hmm. can you be up in space or down in the Mariana Trench and it still be home yeah well and the reason why I wanted to play that song is because I mean you know, there are songs throughout our entire, you know, our entire world that is focused on home, on going home, on getting home, on being home. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, Dorothy, you know, there's no place like home. Click, click, click. Oh, yeah. I remember you know? that. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's a lot of value placed in home. And actually, it was uh, David's idea about talking about exactly what home is. And I thought that was very interesting because... I think home can mean a lot of things to many different people. Yeah. And one of the things I do whenever I'm unsure of something or whenever I'm looking for answers, I always start off my search with, honestly, the old books, the old people, the the giants whose shoulders we're supposed to walk on. I mean, there's really no point in them imparting all this knowledge if we're not going to live by it. Right. So, I mean, you know, my grandmother grew up a pastor, so I might as well start there. You know, I looked in Isaiah. And even there it says, you know, my people will live in peaceful dwelling places and secure homes in distorted places of rest. Um, I'm sorry, in undisturbed places of rest. <laughs> Disturbed and distorted are two different words. <laughs> and then, you know, I kind of branched off that. I looked in some of my, in my Eastern teachings. You know, there's a Zen proverb that says, when you realize nothing is lacking, the whole world belongs to you. And even a Tao one, which... If you realize that all things change, there is nothing you will try to hold on to. And it's kind of funny how even the Eastern and the Western scriptures, if you will, or proverbs or statements, whatever your bag is, how they kind of intersect to places like that. That even the Old Testament, even in the far reaches of, you know, Japan, China, um, Taiwan, um, even Thailand, they all kind of say the same thing that home doesn't seem to be a place in four structures but then that makes me wonder you know what is home like right well that's a million dollar question so let me ask you david i mean about eight months ago i moved in with you and moved all my things out of my home and moved into your home so Mm -hmm. what is home to david violino well that's what we're going to be spending the next little bit discussing because if I just tell you what it is, what I've come up with my conclusion, then there's really no point for this podcast. I can just hit the answer, just go on with my merry day. Well, no, well, but, but I, I think your answer is going to be very different to mine. Oh, of course. And I think my answer is probably going to be different to every other person who's listened or who will ever listen. Fair enough. So, I, you know, I think it's, I think it's okay. I, I think the beauty of home is that it is so transient and so different for each individual person. 
you know, I, I spent most of my life in Kansas and the majority of the people who are my friends who are still, still there, they've lived in one place their whole life. And a lot of them have lived in the same home their whole life. How does that, how do, how do they live their daily lives? Is it like a work home, work home routine? Or do like when, when you stay in one place, do you find yourself yearning for other places? Like the ones that are, I'm talking about the ones that are entrenched in that one place. Well, I think that's, I think that is very comfortable for them personally. See, for someone like you and I, like, I mean, I've, I've lived in other countries. I've lived all over the United States. Um, heck, I mean, up until eight months ago, I lived in a completely different house myself. So, you know, I am, um, you know, I think for, but for those people that, you know, they, they choose to live in one state for their whole life or they choose to even live in one home for their whole life, I think that's very comforting to them and for them. Hmm. That's funny. I mean... I don't know. For me, it's not comfortable, but it's it's interesting to hear that viewpoint. Mm-hmm. And it's funny too because like I was also it made me think of um, other things I was researching. And there was this company out in Texas. They have built the first ten thousand dollar tiny home. Yes, I love it. It was well, like no, no, it wasn't. Well, actually, wait, it wasn't the first ten thousand tiny home. It was the first three D printed. You're right. It was three D printed. That'll teach me to make notes. <laughs> that's where you keep me babe no it was a 3d printed tiny home that cost ten thousand dollars that's insane yeah and the the spend they showed picture they showed the specs and honestly in some ways it's better than my 1300 square foot home Mm -hmm. and you could fit like three of them in my little in my little fellow thing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that was beautiful and i'm wondering i mean because we're so i mean we're used to living in 1300 1500 1900 square feet well you and i are but a lot of people live in 400 square foot, 600 square foot. And there are also a lot of people listening, I'm sure, that are used to 4,000 and 5,000, 6,000 square foot that's houses. What, and that's the point. I mean, like, so if you were to reduce the number of square feet, like even for, like even those people who live in the 600 square foot or 1,300 square foot, if you were to take away half of what you have, that half of what you built into a smaller home, could you... Like, could would that still be home to you? Would you still feel like yourself if half of your belongings were gone, if half of your, like, items were gone? If, like, I mean, I'm not much for stuff myself. Um, and for all those listening, she gave me a look. Um, but is, I, I find it, like, there are certain things for me that are associated with memories, things that I've earned, things that I've, you know, won or achieved, and they're mementos for me. Now, of course, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. I mean, I do have a pretty clean house. It's not like it's not like just a mountain of crap in the back. I'm not a hoarder's nightmare waiting to happen. No, he's not. I wouldn't be here <laughs> if that was the case. Well, you know, it's a few people know this, but I'm actually a minim like I, I'm self-proclaimed minimalist, um, and uh, I'm a minimalist in not the way that you guys would think. I uh, some people know this about me, but I have one pair of flip flops, one pair of tennis shoes. I've got one pair of jeans. I mean, I've got some nice tops. I've got clothes, but I have pretty much, wouldn't you agree I have one of everything? One of everything. Um, you know, I have, but I have one of everything that I need. I've got a, I've got a nice brand new car out the front. Um, you know, I've got, it's not that I don't have things. I just don't have a lot of things. Um, I have, I mean, even to not be team, I mean, I do have more than one pair of underwear, but I definitely have <laughs> one pair. I pretty much have one bra, right? I mean, like literally like, 
this is just kind of how I, I mean, live. me too. I only have one bra and one pair of underwear too. <laughs> but and uh, joining forces with David, who, like he said, he you know he he hang, he has lots of beautiful mementos from his adventures and his traveling, mm-hmm. and um, you know I you know I he has a lot more stuff, quote unquote, than than I do. But you know the point is is that if you take away the stuff, do you still have a home? And um, for me personally, stuff does not make a home. Um, for me, memories do make a home, um, but also the home is the memory that's creative, created. If David and I jumped in a, a minivan uh, tomorrow and we drove across the country, that minivan would be our home. Um, and so it really is, for me, it's the love that's surrounded by you and the people who are with you and the memories that you create within that space. That to me is what home is. Um, you know, I think you probably have a little bit of a different definition. I think, you know, you do love your things and you love your mementos. The question is, is, is that home to you or does, or does that just celebrate the version of home for you? Well, that's an interesting concept. And it's funny, well, because I was actually thinking about that same thing. So I started to look at it from a different angle and I did some research. Now, I mean, people who know me, I've been called a hippie and a warrior hippie one time. That was a funny story, too. But, um, and I started to do research on, like, nomads and hippies and kind of how they live their life. And gypsies. Oh, and gypsies, of course. And there are definitions and differences between each one of those. And, excuse me. And so I was reading one of the, the, the studies, the... The um, journals. Thank you, journals of some of the nomads, and this guy who was a who was a, in two thousand eight. He was a world class banker. He was one of them ten million dollar Wall Street buying, selling, trading like you like, know, like a stock trader, like a stock trader, but one of those high level ones. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure who's been around since two thousand eight, but uh, probably millions and millions of people. There's been at least like three people, I'm sure. <laughs> But there was this huge crash. I mean, like that's that's the year the that recession. Every, yeah, yeah. That's the year that I'm pretty everything... sure everyone knows about that one, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're, you'd have to be nine, and I don't think we have any nine-year-olds listening. You don't know that I do have quite the enchanting voice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like Sesame Street up in here. <laughs> S is for Sesame Street. <laughs> and he was saying that, you know, that point in your life when you realize the home that you grew up isn't really your home anymore. Because he lost everything. He lost his money. He lost his cars. He lost his toys. He lost a lot of the square feet. He lost his wife, well, not surprisingly, but he lost his friends um, because as he was becoming to realize that they were with him because of the selling he was doing, because of the money. Because of the money he had and and the status that he had. And the power that he had. Right. And once all that vanished. But his wife stuck by him. Not in that one, he didn't. Oh, that's no, no. unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he... Okay, so he lost everything. He did. And so what... So how did he... What happened after that? So he had... He, he said... This was his quote, you know, You know that point in your life where you realize the home you grew up isn't really your home anymore. And... Okay, so that, yeah, so he, he made his home his reality. And then when his whole reality changed, he had to make a whole new home. Well, not only that, but actually he felt like he was pushed out of where he was. I mean, all the only thing he had from his youth is the town, his sports team, and the, the local eatery he had. 
he realized that there was nothing here for him anymore. And in some ways, it's actually kind of freeing to realize there's nothing here for you anymore. I had that exact experience. Yeah. So what this guy did was he took his skills, which, I mean, if you're skilled at making a million dollars, that's kind of a skill that translates anywhere. True. And he took on his plane. He took on his RV. He used the last of his money and got himself a little bit of hostel money to stay in hostels across the world. And he went from town to town to town to town, doing freelance work, doing contracts, writing books, living poorly. This guy went from making $10 million a year uh, to being able to afford $20,000 a year, which is kind of a, a big jump for me. I mean, if I'm at $60,000 a year and I'm down to twenty, even for me, I'm swallowing a little bit hard. So I couldn't even imagine the like the like that kind of life that he had to like adjust to. But that made him grow. It made him learn new things. It made him um, appreciate everything around him. And a change started happening within him. Home for him became a familiar feeling. He started to be able to aware of who he was mm. and who he wanted to be. And once he started realizing that he was able to transition from place to place to place to place, like it was nothing. I and, like it. Yeah, it was beautiful. And what a freeing feeling. Yeah, it is. And I also want to make it clear, we're not here to say what home is to anyone because we're fully aware that everybody has different feelings of what home is. So you're saying out of 7 billion people, there's more than two answers? <laughs> there's probably about 7 billion answers. Right. <laughs> but I the point of this show, the point of this podcast and even the life coaching that I do and that we do, it's to promote you to be your truest self without restrictions, without boundaries, that you, the person that you know, the person that you trust in is yourself. And whatever answers, wherever that place that takes you, that you are so uh, sure of yourself that no matter where you're at, there you are. Yeah. So the idea is, is that, I think what you're trying to say, David, is that you, that you yourself will always be your home. We haven't gotten there yet. There's, uh, I'm we're going through the journey. Well, I don't know. You're just wrapping it up so beautifully. <laughs> well, <I was> wrapping... <laughs> well, there's more. <laughs> but wait, there's more. <laughs> well, it's funny because then you know, as my my mind has this habit of wandering it and, does. A, and adventuring. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? What if I'm on a different planet? Because you know, you hear about the the, the Mars thing. They were all planning on moving to Mars in the next two months. And uh, that's, that's an exaggeration. It's not going to be two months. Okay. I was like, is this a new thing that I've missed? No. But I was like, you know, has this happened while Games of Thro Game of Thrones was going on? <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, I've only seen season one, guys. I'm one of the 1% that haven't watched the freaking show. Yes. So she was spared the disappointment of season eight. Yes. Although I've read all about it on the Facebook. So I'm sorry. <laughs> but then I started thinking to myself, so... What if I was in a completely different place? So, literally, yeah, you're, a, you're not even talking on this planet. Not even talking on this planet. So, um, I was actually researching one of the astronauts, uh, Chris Hadfield. Um, this guy was an astronaut, was a test pilot, and then he signed up to be well an astronaut, and he lived for months and months on this on the ISS, the International Space Station, mm -hmm. and he. So, you know, so I he wondered. created his own home outside of the, our planet. Yeah. And I was reading a lot of his interviews. I was watching a lot of his videos. And he took, and 
what he defined as happiness, what he defined as like how he passed the time, how he made it his own, was he, first of all, he became familiar with it, which I've never been outside of this, well, I've never really been outside of this this uh, globe, I've never been outside, I've never been up in the air more than, you know, 30, 40,000 feet on a plane, but I couldn't imagine like living on a submarine for six months or living on a plane for six months or living on a space station. So, I mean, you know, how do you take this and make it familiar so you can digest it, so you can acclimate to it? And what he did was he, you know, he brought, of course, his, his memories. He brought his, you know, some of his pictures, some of his, um, you know, mementos here and there, whatever he could bring up because... I'm sure he didn't have, like, tons of room. No, they don't give you many suitcases. Yeah, to they, go up to space. Yeah. It's actually funny. There, there was actually a different... That's a different topic, but, like, the actual concept of space travel of rocket ships, um, he said he couldn't even bring more than his T-shirt because they have everything weighed down even to the pair of to shoes you have. So oh, sure. To the pair of shoes, to the pair of underwear you're wearing. Right. They get... Because apparently even, like, an extra point one pound is another few hundred gallons like of, of, gas. of solid gas. Right. And I've never seen solid gas, but astronauts have. So I have because I live with you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> then I'm dumb. <laughs> and yeah, so he lived. Um, he made that his own. He became familiar with the views. He used his chance to, to talk to his friends. To So here's the question. Did he miss it when he came back? He, of course he did. Because he made it his, but his he, world. But he made it a lot, he missed it a lot less because, you know, he made this thing his own home. Nice. And he did that. I mean, he he just adapted to it. He, re- he realized that this is, like, going to be his place to stay. Nice. Well, so, yeah. I mean, he had no other way out. Yeah. That's good. And, yeah, and the, that was beautiful. When he came back six months later, eight months later... It was like going from one home to the other. It was like going from your parents' house to your house in Tampa Bay. Yep. Very and, nice. Yeah. And so then I, I looked a little bit deeper because I'm very rarely content to look at one thing. Mm-hmm. So then what if you're not in a different place? What if you're not in a different zip code? But what if everything is taken from you? Like, what if you're in, in jail? Yeah. No, I did some research on that. Oh, so that was pretty interesting. So I thought to myself, because David was talking about the, you know, going out of space. And I was like, well, I wonder what would happen if, you know, I wonder what would happen if you were a prisoner. Um, and how, and not only that, but imagine being a prisoner and then being forced, you know, when, when your time is up, coming back, quote unquote, home. And how people adjust to life outside of prison. You know, I think... Um, and, and I don't, I've never been to prison, so I can't talk about, I can't talk about this personally. I can only imagine that if you are in forced into a situation where you're in prison, that you, you, you are forced to, you know, to make it your home. Um, but I think that the adjustment coming out is even harder. And I read an entire article about a gentleman who, who served his time. He was in prison for over 19 years and then he came out and he had to reestablish himself and make a home for himself outside of prison walls. And I think that, you know, I, it was very difficult for him. How did he do it? Well, he connected to his family and friends mm-hmm. um, that were still there for him. He was able to work. He had to build some normalcy. I think that is another key part of home is, is, is your version of normalcy. 
not everybody is going to have the same version of normalcy. Like you and I just discussed earlier in the podcast, how we find it a little strange that people live their whole lives in one home, but millions of people do it. And we're not here to say that's a bad thing. It's just not something that David and I have a life that we've lived, right? However, that's their normal. So I think that it same thing, like when I moved in with you, right? I had to find my own sense of normal, right? I had to wake up and get my own routine and, and find where my toothbrush lived and, you know, like, like make it so when I wake up every day, this is my normal. I guess then the question would arise from that is, what motivates you to do that? Like, what motivates these people in prison and space and, you know, nomads? What, what do you think motivates them to make this place their home? Survival. Like, let's think about it this way. Let's say you're trapped in the woods. Not trapped, because you're, <laughs> but let's say you're lost in the woods, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know certain survival instincts. You have to find shelter. You have to find food, and you have to find water and warmth, generally, if, right. especially if it's cold. Right. Well, you will you will make a fire. You will make yourself a bed. You will find yourself something to eat. Like Survivor Man. Like Survivor Man, <laughs> right? And I, I think it's survival instinct to find normalcy within your space. That's interesting. I, and funny, I always thought it was like, and from my own perspective, I always thought it was more a desire to be at peace and a desire to be calm and a desire to actually like find your happiness but that's why i love your mind my love because (laughs) you're thinking about four steps ahead but before anyone can find peace and peace and happiness they have to have those basic needs met but i know i understand that of course because if someone has a gun to your head you're not gonna be like well it's time to be you know peaceful (laughs) (laughs) what am i gonna get on netflix tonight no you you are correct they're 100 percent correct i i guess i'm thinking very base level here um but yes i think ultimately it's 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 finding peace and that's actually and to answer your question your your question that i i got to that i asked twice by the way and did you notice he kept deviating from my question guys i I did because i guess the last thing is what made me realize is like so what happens when you know when a man when a woman finds their home like and there was a study in men's in the men's journal because men's journal is where I go for my scientific information yes oh my goodness and and actually I, I corroborated with a few other science journals that I found um, so when a man specifically um, is settled in when he's at peace his mind changes and are you talking about in a home or in a relationship? What are you talking about? When he's stable. When he's stable. When he's stable. What happens is he actually evolves past his primal instincts. He evolves past, you know, his tearing his teeth into people and to eating for food and to, like, to hunt and gather and to have sex with and procreate. He actually goes past that. He starts worrying about it. He starts concerning himself with his health, how to live properly, how to focus on relationships, how to find normalcy. And once that man turns into a, a stable environment, he actually goes on to the next phase of his life. He goes into Homo Superior, I guess. I mean, unless you're watching the X-Men, then magnets and stuff. But... <laughs> He decreases anxiety. He lives longer because he's where he wants to be. Nice. And that's really, I guess that is that would be my answer, is when you are at peace with yourself, when you know yourself completely, when you understand every breath you take and why you're taking it and what you want in life and 
when you're focused on yourself and who you are truly, every place is your home. Whether you're with somebody, whether you're by yourself, or whether you are in a van, in space, in Texas, in the bottom of the Mariana Trench, as long as you are happy with yourself and know yourself completely, every place is home. Thanks for tuning in.